Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a good weekend and a good week so far and, and lots of help, heartfelt moments with family and friends and I'm here with another episode uh, for the Quantum Heart Cafe and if you're uh, tuning in for the first time, the Quantum Heart Cafe is a, it's a podcast where I share my um, interest and love in, in books and reading and as well as connecting what I learn to current really important current events that aren't really being talked about um, uh, too much like there are people talking about them but it's not like on the you know it's not really well known the current events that aren't really well or they're not really in you know in the forefront of people's minds and that's mostly to do with the rollout of um, web3 and uh, these technologies like uh, blockchain and uh, the token economics and if you don't know what those terms mean that's okay because this is what this show's about it's kind of exploring those as well as um, exploring uh, spirituality and you know, just topics that I'm interested in, but I really want to, um, you know, spend time on this podcast talking about this technology because I think it's important and it, it represents a fundamental shift in human uh, and life as well and all beings, just a, a shift towards this synthetic life on earth. And I think that it's not, you know, it's just the wrong, wrong path. We're on the the wrong channel as they say so I think that we can figure out something else because um, these technologies while packaged as something cool and shiny they're not they're really not and there's a lot more to them and a lot of it has to do with um, you know this emergence an emergence of a, a world consciousness but with the caveat being that you know a select view or this predatory energy will be controlling uh, the world conscious if you if that makes sense like there's this this fake world consciousness that is trying to superimpose itself on the real collective consciousness and and the real uh, creator you know God universe if you will that's trying to superimpose itself between us and and living beings and with the creator and I know that sounds like that doesn't sound like a lot of sense or it sounds kind of strange but just uh you know bear with me and bear with the show because um you know in in today's show I will be continuing a book on called emergence which I've been talking about for the last you know little while and because it's this emergence of the superorganism that I want to kind of talk about, and it is to me an important current event. So uh, it's something that I'll be I'll be you know talking about throughout the throughout my shows, and uh, I hope that you know if you like it that you'll continue if this cu- piques your curiosity that you'll stay with uh, this content, and of course I'm going to be sharing some important resources and other blogs and content that you can check out uh, if this piques your interest, and I hope it does. Uh, But before we get into today's show, um, 
I do also like to just take a moment of gratitude with my shows. Uh, and today I'm just grateful for the gift of uh, intelligence and the gift of creativity. And I've been thinking about uh, my own creativity and how I can express that, you know, and how I can work with my creativity to, cr you know, imagine something else other than this artificial emergence or this, art this cybernetic world, the systems theory type world that, you know, certain certain energies and certain institutions and, and people that, you know, follow these institutions want to uh, kind of bring into the world, you know, and, the, and then there is an argument that we already are in a simulation. I think Alison McDowell, I follow her work quite a bit, you know, she talks about already being in a simulation and to some degree that's that's true because you know even in his book Stephen Johnson talks about how people have already been creating uh, emergent technology especially through video games like SimCity and and The Sims um, but just because we're in the simulation doesn't mean we can't figure out another way to be in the world another way that is more life-affirming other than just, you know, being a cog in the wheel or, you know, being just a mindless agent in their emerging game. So I, and that's kind of what I want to focus on in, in the show. And, um, and that's why I'm grateful for my intelligence because, you know, I've been thinking about like different art or different things that I can explore that maybe is fulfilling for me, but then also explores these topics like you know my podcast being one of them but I also wonder stuff in the real world or in the physical world because you know I kind of kind of growing a little a little weary about spending so much time on the internet and you know maybe it's just doing my podcast and then kind of limiting how much time I spend on here um you know just because it's probably a lot healthier to be out in the physical world, connecting with people and, and with nature. So, you know, it's just kind of exploring. I've been thinking about that and exploring that a bit, and I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to do that. Uh, and then, of course, for uh, coffee, because it's trying to capture the essence of a cafe, I was drinking, I bought a really nice decaf coffee over the weekend, and I've been learning how to do pour-over coffee. Um, which is kind of like it's different from just a regular drip coffee, which, you know, you, you have your blender and you just blend your your beans and then you, you know, put the hot water on. Or at least I have, I don't have a coffee machine. I just have like a coffee filter and one of those, um, you know, those things that you can put over a cup to filter the water through the coffee. And so I've been learning how to do pour over, which is a slower way of creating a nice, a really nice cup of coffee because it like it captures the, the taste of the beans and it's just I really like it because it's slow you know I'm not trying to go fast you know it's just taking my time and getting to know the coffee beans and how they taste and I mean I drink decaf because it's in the afternoon so I don't drink too much try not to drink too much caffeinated even during the day I just like the taste of the decaf coffee I know some people are like what what about the caffeine but you know there's other ways to create energy for yourself and um, you know, I have trying to cut down to like just one cup of coffee a, a day and then maybe a decaf in the afternoon. 
Um, and then I might also start exploring teas and how to brew a really lovely cup of tea and, and just the, all the healing qualities that come from tea and, and flowers and stuff like that. So anywho, that's what my coffee today is just a really nice decaf blend that I got from a, a local coffee roaster, 49, 49th parallel. Um, and it's, it's pretty good. I, I'm quite enjoying it and I'm enjoying the learning how to do the slow drip. Uh, pour over coffee because then I can really enjoy the taste of uh, the the decaffeinated coffee rather than rather than just like the um, you know not that there's anything wrong with the fast way of doing it too I mean but I just like being able to take a step back and you know and, and smell the roses and enjoy the the smell of freshly cut grass and this is kind of like that too you know the taste of a nicely brewed cup of decaf coffee um, and then with that being said, I'm going to start getting into the, the folk, uh, the, kind of the heart of the show, which is the, I'm continuing to talk about Stephen Johnson's book, uh, on emergence. And I'm going to be going over the chapter emergence and like, and patterns. Cause now he's talking about, uh, cause with emergence, so emergence is like the, it's how, it's like the study of how individual or yeah individual actions by so-called I say this in parentheses agents which are just in you know they're individual beings so how the interactions of simple agents in a system um, and these are thousands of interactions it's not just a couple or a few it's it's thousands how that creates a higher level intelligence uh, and part of that is feedback and part of that is following a set of rules. And so, um, in the book, he, Stephen Johnson often talks about social animals like slime mold and ants, because they're an example of how individual inter like thousands of individual interactions between, uh, beings creates higher level intelligence although he doesn't really use the word being in his book, he uses agent because it's systems theory. And so whenever people are talking about systems, they're usually talking about agents and agency, which to me, it, it just robs individuals of their being. You know, we become like agents, like a, just a player on a, on a, board game or something like that like we're not like we're more than that we're beings we're human beings and there's other living beings so I use being they use agents but um you know and I'll talk about agents throughout the show but it's their language it's not mine I don't consider people as just agents as I consider people as human beings I consider animals and other life forms as not agents but other beings that we share the planet with um, so when you hear agent, it's not me, it's just, it's what he wrote in the book. It's his language and a lot of like complex adaptive system authors and researchers, they use the same word agent. Like if you are familiar with economics and game theory, they also use the word agent a lot because, you know, it's taking the, the being of the human being and, and turning us into agents. So without... But we won't have agency, like we won't have, you know, the ability to make individual choices with the uh, 
the role of blockchain and token economics and cybernetics it's you know steering individuals and steering groups of people towards a specific goal that the system wants to accomplish so the yes there'll be agents but there's not going to be any agency which i know is kind of funny but there won't be you won't have um or it'll be very limited how much sort of I guess, for lack of a better word, like free will you'll have in a cybernetic system. Like you'll be expected to follow a pathway or follow a specific way of being. Like is it, like you'll like whether it's a good citizen or you're, you'll be expected to um, make certain decisions and stuff like that. Like it's not, it's not as going to be as utopian or decentralized as what the marketing says like it's going to be yes it's going to be sent decentralized but there's still going to be a central control and that's kind of like what the superorganism that they envision being is like this this superorganism that kind of uh, you know steers and guides all the the so-called agents in the system. I hope that makes sense, but I'm going to continue talking about that throughout these shows. So you'll become familiar with these terms as I go along and stuff like that. And then the, the blog posts and the, the articles I share as well, like, you know, I really encourage you to check out the work of Alison McDowell and, um, Silicon Icarus is another really good, uh, resource for, understanding like more of the token economics and the blockchain but that's integral to emergence as well as uh jason jason bosch uh his his youtube channel argus fest has a lot of really good interviews uh with allison but also with a lot of other uh people that you know kind of talking about like the system and stuff like that so i'll share those because it's really important really good stuff um really good resources for study and for learning because you won't be able to um there's unfortunately there's no sound bites here <laughs> there's no quick learning or or cliff notes and like even this like my show like is i can only talk so much i mean it's the because of the there's just so much i'm not just with the time constraint like you know it'd be a really really long show if i started talking about every detail in the book um so, you know, I encourage listeners to read the books that I talk about and read the articles and do some self-study because there's no real, like, I know I've often seen this, you know, people saying, oh, just put it in an app. Well, there's no app for this. <laughs> yeah, it does require some work. Um, and I say that's fulfilling work because you learn, re I'm learning really cool stuff. I mean, these people have it backwards, I think, and the system has it backwards, but the with their artificial emergence, but real emergence and learning about the universe and stuff is fascinating. It's just, they have a very odd and kind of twisted view on, on it. You know, it's their perception that they're trying to like put on every living being and it's, it's, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's a perception. It's the systems perception and you have like these systems administrators administrators and managers and stuff they're trying to like push that onto everybody else and it's it's their way of thinking it's not mine and it doesn't have to be yours so all right so i'm going to just begin 
because I have been talking about wanting to do a little bit of a biography on Stephen Johnson, just a little bit of a background. And I did have a an email sent to me by Allison who offered some um, really good information on his background. So I wanted to, I've been meaning to talk about this over the last couple of shows, but I just didn't get a chance to include it until now. Um, so I'm just going to read a little bit of his background, and then I'll get into the chapter. Uh, so Stephen Johnson, he's a best-selling author of seven books in the on the intersection of science, technology, and personal experience. His writings have influenced everything from the way political campaigns use the internet to cutting-edge ideas in urban planning uh, to the battle against 21st century terrorism. Uh, in 2010, he was chosen by excuse me, by Prospect uh, Magazine as one of the top 10 brains of the digital future. Uh, his latest book, Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation, was a finalist for the 800 CEO Read Award for the Best Business Books of 2010 and was ranked as one of the year's best books by The Economist. Uh, his book, The Ghost Map, was one of the 10 best non-fiction books of 2006, according to Entertainment Weekly. Uh, his books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. Stephen has also co-created uh, three influential, influential websites, uh, the pioneering online magazine feed, uh, the Webley, uh, or Webby award-winning community site uh, Plastic.com, and most recently, the uh, hyperlocal media site Outside In, uh, which was acquired by AOL in 2011. Uh, he serves on the advisory boards of a number, number of internet-related companies, including Meetup.com, uh, Betaworks, and Nerve. Stephen is a contributing editor to Wired Magazine and is the 2009 Hearst New Media uh, professional in residence at the Journalism School, Columbia University. Um, he won the Newhouse School 4th Annual Mirror Awards for his Time Magazine cover article titled How Twitter Will Change the Way We Live. Uh, Stephen has also written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, The Nation, and many other periodicals. He has appeared in on many high-profile te television programs, including The Charlie Rose Show, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and The News Hour with Jim, uh, I think it's Jim Lear. And his lectures, or he lectures widely on technology, scientific, and cultural issues. His blog at stephenberlinjohnson.com uh, and and is uh, Steve, at Stephen, John, Stephen B. Johnson on Twitter. Um, so that's just a bit of his background, uh, and so I just wanted to share that because you know he's pretty influential. Like a, he does have a lot of ties to a lot of different organizations. Wired being something that kind of stands out uh, for me, as well as Meetup.com, because that's how, like I, I've used Meetup.com in the in the past as well, just to find and meet different groups. And then now I'm thinking about it just as I thought, you know, just as I was reading that. And actually, that kind of relates to what is in this chapter, pat like uh, emergence and patterns, because 
In the chapter, he talks about clusters and how clusters are important for getting information about, like, you know, finding the patterns in all the information and data because it's these patterns that kind of point to the, like, it points to the higher level intelligence that, um, you know, that they're looking for. And so clusters and getting people into groups and stuff like that, especially like-minded groups, it's really important. So that kind of, yeah, that made me think a little bit, the, the whole connection with meetup.com. Uh, okay, so he talks about, so now that kind of is a nice segue into the uh, chapter that I'm going to be covering tonight on patterns. So um, he begins the chapter by talking about the guilds in Florence um, and Florence at Italy and emergence. Um, so at the beginning of pattern match, which is like the whole kind of section, uh, he talks about how the major uh, merchant society, uh, societis uh, mer mercatorum, pardon me, I'm not very good with Italian, <laughs> would, uh, which was run by the Florence merchants back in uh, you know, way back when, it broke up into smaller guilds. And the guild is, um, is the, is a reorganization that changed the world. And I feel like, ah, oh man, I feel, I can't remember where I saw it, but I feel like there was a connection someone made between guilds and blockchain. I'll have to find it again. I'll see if I can find it. But anyway, so the, um, and then the Florentine, Florentine minted the gold florin and it was a standard currency in Europe for a long time um so Stephen then uses the he talks about the silk weavers in the chapter because the silk weavers weavers created a guild um and he want he used the silk weavers to illustrate how cities themselves learn um and then he also make he continues to make a lot of uh, like connections between the Roman Empire and the Italian Renaissance. Manchester and Manchester was built on a Roman, uh, an old Roman settlement, and emergence today. And actually, in the previous chapter, he talked about how like Washington Washington D.C. is an imperial city. And the architecture does kind of look like Rome. And I find it interesting because it feels like, uh, you know, what's going on is another, I don't want, I don't know if the word iteration is a good word, but it's just like another form of the Roman Empire. Like the Roman Empire didn't really go away. It just changed. And... You know, there's a lot of, like, overlap between the U.S. Empire and current-day imperialism and the Roman Empire back in the day. And then there's, I mean, in grade school, when I was in high school and stuff, they really focused on the Roman Empire and, and the Italian Renaissance and, of course, like, the whole history of Europe and didn't really talk about any other countries that, you know, have histories of their own, a lot of them far more deeper than ours but they focus a lot on the European history and like the Roman Empire and the the Renaissance and the the so-called Dark Ages and stuff so 
I feel like there's a, a thread there where they're trying to, um, they're almost trying to like bring that back in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, I feel like there's, it's more than just like a passing phrase. I feel like there's a real obsession on their part of bringing, of continuing the Roman Empire, if that makes sense. And then uh, Stephen goes on to say that cities can learn. Uh, so Stephen thinks that cities can learn and that not all learning comes from uh, conscious tasks. And that kind of makes me wonder about the sensor networks. Like there's the whole smart cities. I don't know if you're familiar with it. If you're not, then uh, I encourage you to look it up because the smart cities is where, you know, it's not so much about sustainability. And again, the marketing is very clever. Like they talk about sustainability and even I was taken in by it because I, you know, a few years ago, I or maybe 10 years ago, I heard about smart cities. And at the time I thought, hey, it's a great idea to have like, to make them walkable, you know, the whole 100 mile diet, having local food, like none of these things were bad and they're still not. But the problem is, is that, you know, these people want to take a good thing, which local food and local farms and stuff. And then they want to turn it into a digital asset or a sensor network or lay a sensor ne network over top of it to collect data from people. And I, th I feel like this data is going to go into this collective memory um, of the city, which then will go into the collective memory of the superorganism, if that makes sense. I, I know it's just a lot of like sci-fi stuff, but just bear with me because it's, I mean, I am going to be talking about that throughout the show or and not just this one, but in future shows too. Um, okay. And then, uh, he, Stephen then talks about the system will alter its behavior, um, in a way that makes achieving its goals within reach and, and being able to recognize patterns and data is how the city learns and modifies its behavior. So this is why they really are interested in collecting as much data from people as possible. And it's for the learning and the pattern recognition um, so that the system can adapt because they want to create a complex adaptive system, which is another word for like artificial emergence. And in order to do that, it needs to learn and be able to recognize patterns and get feedback. And I'm going to be going into feedback into another show because he has like a whole chapter devoted to feedback. So I'll talk a little bit about it throughout this one, but not too much because there is a, a chapter coming up that's like dedicated to feedback. Um, and then emergence, he also talks about emergent systems are considered uh, patterns in time. Uh, beneath the change or turbulence, the pattern maintains its shape. And clusters are part of the pattern. Uh, the silk weavers cluster along, along the poor, poor Santa Maria, and other trades cluster, and other locations. And this kind of makes me again, it makes me think about like the neighborhoods, and at least in my area where they're trying to like cluster a ton of people. Like everyone, uh, a lot of people complain about like density, and why they're stacking people on top of each other in these condos and now that I'm reading this it makes sense that they want all these people clustered in one spot together because then they can collect all the data 
and and then the system can learn and and find patterns and stuff so and then you know clustering like-minded groups of people which is kind of what made me think of meetup.com it's because you get people who are in, have like-minded interests you know cluster together in groups and, and I'm not trying to say that you know people getting together and making friends is bad it's not like um, I think it's important to bear in mind that a lot of these technologies have a dual purpose. You know, like, for instance, Meetup, you know, on the surface, it looks like it's just helping people uh, meet other people and make friends that have like-minded interests, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then the dual use, you know, and the, what they don't say in the marketing is that it's also used to collect data, and I've used it before, and now it I'm questioning, like, oh man, like, I didn't realize that this was going to be part of, like, their artificial emergence, so, but that's kind of, like, the nefarious dual use of it, and, you know, just like with other, other technologies, like smartphones and stuff, so there's a dual use to every technology and that they put out, and some of it's good, and then some of it, you know, it's like they want to collect data on clusters of like-minded people so that they can find those patterns in time uh and so that's where that kind of really jumped out when I was reading about Stephen's bio and then reading this chapter on pattern matching okay so I'm going to continue so even as the city and buildings change uh the silk weavers remained in place and Stephen thinks it is the law of emergence that keeps the silk weavers at Por Santa Maria. Um, and then the smart cities wants to want wants to mimic this with having clusters of people in hubs. And so I guess the clusters will be a fixed point in time. Uh, or at least that feels like it. So that if you know the buildings and the city change that the the hubs remain in place. Um, at least that's kind of how I understood it. <clears throat> and then he continues to talk about clusters and emergence. Um, so Stephen argues that the silk weavers uh, stay clust clustered in the same spot for a thousand years, despite change changes and disruptions around them. Uh, he somehow thinks that the clusters are like magnets planted in the city's fabric, and it's the reason that historical change hasn't caused the silk weavers to move. So that's kind of like what I was talking about just a moment before. Um, and then Stephen contrasts Florence with uh, New York City, where Florence is an example of a superorganism. Uh, New York is a developing embryo that is self-organizing in different parts. And then I would add my own city, uh, Vancouver, to this because we have different, like, air quote, smart neighborhoods that are usually, like, hubs or clusters around, like, transportation spots. So around, like, the Skytrains and malls, they're building these neighborhoods that will be, like, I guess the a city hub that will be then networked together to create Vancouver's own superorganism. At least that's how I kind of think about it. Um, and then Stephen thinks that cities can learn by capturing and bringing together pockets of information. Uh, and with the sensors networks being laid over top, they will be able to capture even more information 
and store it because there are like you know the 5g and um the internet of things eventually they want the internet of bodies where they want to put sensors in our bodies if they haven't already started doing that but um so they want so that's what they they want that's why i talk about the sensor network is literally is sensors that they're putting in houses that they're putting in uh, street lamps and stuff like that to capture data um you know about the interaction between thousands of people within a, a neighborhood um and then he says that the the city's clusters also uh, share information with each other so the clusters also contribute to a self-perpetuating cycle of learning <clears throat> and the clusters in cities also enable idea sharing so these ideas don't die in isolation um, and then he talks about cities and collective intelligence uh, so the city stores and transmits uh, civilizations collective intelligence the city's specialized specialization makes it smarter are more useful for the inhabitants uh, information management comes later as the city establishes itself um, and again he talks about Washington D Washington DC as an imperial city built by master planners again it's another like throwback to Rome I believe or I think it's a throwback to Rome uh, and then Stephen makes a really important comment on the sprouting of cities during the Middle Ages because he speaks about how systems undergo phase transition during important moments in history. And that phase transition kind of makes me think about now and how, um, because they want to go from, so, you know, people like to use a lot of isms when they're talking about what's happening right now, like socialism or communism or capitalism gone or late stage capitalism and emergence the system of emergence or cybernetics is really a blend of all of those isms it's not just one or the other and uh, what I think is happening is a phase transition or is an attempt of a phase transition from this the way the old the system used to be which is you know the isms like <laughs> um uh, like the older style of the industrial age imperialism more to this emergent uh, superorganism. So it's kind of, I feel like it's more of a phase transition what we're going through right now. Um, and and how like a linear increase in energy can make a non-linear change in the systems because a lot of this is energetic too and electricity and so I, I feel like there is like a, this phase change going on towards uh, an artificial emergence, if that makes sense. Like the system hasn't gone away. You know, the system of inequality, the system of, you know, the colonialism and stuff is not going away. Even though the marketing says it is, it's not. It, the marketing is changing and so it's becoming uh, this artificial emergent like system, the predatory system is becoming, is trying to create itself into this world superorganism, and that's what I mean by the phase, the phase transition. Because he even says it himself, like the system undergoes a phase transition during important moments in in history. You know, and back in history, the system it used to be the Roman Empire and imperialism, 
And then it changed and it became the Catholic Church and the Dark Age of the Inquisition. And then that phase changed into like the the global capitalism that we have that we've had up until recently and now we're undergoing another phase change to this artificial emergence. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, and then, so Stephen does bring up ants learning and emergence. Um, so according to Stephen, ants do their learning at the colony level. Um, and supposedly the individual ants remain unaware of the larger picture. Um, and it's the thousands and thousands of individual decisions that make up the collective hive mind. Um, and he keeps saying that individual ants don't have anything like a personality, but the hive does. Yeah, and I wonder how they do that. I don't think ants and slime mold cells are as dumb as scientists make them out to be. Like that, I think creatures and, and living beings have their own intelligence and ways of being. As pair pretty ignorant and arrogant to suggest that they're stupid. Like they have their own lives and their own, you know, they're not there for us. They're there for them and they have their own intelligence and way of being. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I, can't, I try and shy away now from calling other creatures stupid just because we don't understand. Just because we have a different way of being in the world doesn't mean that they're they're stupid and we're smarter like that's I feel like that kind kind of comes from the dominator predatory system because it does have a mindset it does have its own psychology and a really good book to read is uh Pegas in the Promised Land by Stephen Newcomb because he talks about like the cognitive you know like the way the system of domination thinks you know and, and that like us versus them or, or we're above and they're below type thinking like that's a really that's a real example of the dominator mindset it's not really um you know other cultures and other people don't necessarily think that way so anyway uh and then but he does he it's interesting because in the you know I, for the last few shows i have been talking about um oliver riser's the world sensorium which was about a book about the emergence of a superorganism, and he does bring up uh, Telhard Desjardins, who was like a, a priest and philosopher, and he talked about the noosphere. And if you're not familiar with the noosphere, the noosphere is it's like the collective unconscious of individuals, and it is something that's being studied out of Princeton. I know that they have like the these random number generators that all over I don't know if they're all over the world but they're in specific parts of the world and whenever there's like a big moment in history um, the random number generators stop being random and they start synchronizing with each other one example being of the death of Princess Diana like the machines were random and then up until her death or the moment before her death they became synchronized during her death, they became synchronized. And then the synchronicity continued until just after her death. And there's been other, like, major world events that do this. And so sometimes I wonder, like, if the major world events that we see on the news and stuff and on online, like, the ones that really get into people's, like, 
that are, you know, or like really have a lot of a media frenzy around them. I wonder if that's also part of it is like these world events happen, whether they're, um, you know, they're pre created because some events are like manufactured <clears throat> you know, just watch the movie. I think it's called wag the dog or something where they, you know, they, they create like a staged event and then it kind of becomes like this news media thing. Uh, but it's still staged. Like, so some events are real. And some events are staged, but I don't know if that necessarily matters because, or at least if it matters with the study of emergence, because, you know, these big global events, like they, I imagine they, they would look, be looked upon as an opportunity to study emergent behavior and study clusters and study how the, the pattern, like find those patterns that they want, um, so that's that kind of makes me think like the no sphere and the random gem the random number generators kind of makes me think about like whether they're you know one of the features of these global events is to is to study that collective consciousness um you know and it is funny that he brings up the priest Teilhard Desjardins cuz he did work on the no sphere um and Tilhard thought that humanity is now starting to constitute a world brain or 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 a global consciousness. Um, and there's the thought that human minds have already formed group minds throughout history, especially in communal gatherings of cities. Uh, the city is a small scale trial run for what might be the worldwide extravaganza. extravaganza. And sustainable city life is, according to Steve, or Stephen, a modern invention that is just as important as the internet. And he also writes that the macro behaviors emerging out of emerging out of cities will also emerge out of the world wide web. Um, so he continues the book, the chapter, by talking about um, environments and emergence. So Stephen thinks that environments can either encourage or suppress emergence, and he is sympathetic to the idea of a world organism uh, eventually emerging. So in the past, he has been talking, he was asked if the web is becoming more organized. And he thinks that while there, or in the past, he thought that while there have been attempts to structure the web and all the information added to it, the web is still disorganized. And he makes the interesting comment that Google and Yahoo being map makers and it makes me and it did make me think about uh, topology and clusters like through the search engines and stuff like that that we use yeah I use them all the time and these search engines would then be able to find and collect patterns and map out like an emergent behavior like it would be a tool for map making on the web um and I also wonder if that's the whole point of Web3 is to give structure to the information being added to the web so that it could have this emergent quality to it um, and it could have a collective behavior. Like, I wonder if that's what blockchain is for and the Web3 is to create that, um, that structure so that it can get the feedback, so that the web can get the feedback and this ultimately the superorganism could get the feedback. Um, 
So Stephen thinks that the current web is an example of the of a miserable city and a bad brain. <laughs> so brains, unlike the internet, store and organize information. They don't allow information just to float around. Oh, I don't know. I, I've had brain farts. And thoughts of random bits of information floating in my head. So I don't know. <laughs> um, and he also says our cells interact with one another um, with the best interest of the... Like they... Our cells interacting with each other, you know, when they do interact, they have the the best intent or the the best interest of the whole body at heart, which I hope that makes sense. Um, and that's different from the current web, which lacks this type of organization. Um, but they want to create it, as I said, and I wonder that if that's what the Web three technologies like blockchain is going to be used for. And then Stephen also brings up natural selection again and how intelligent systems are guided towards uh, certain structures because of it. You know, he's a real proponent of the Dar whole Darwinian thing. I'm not, I don't like natural selection and I'm not a fan of Darwin. I think humans are more than that. Like, I think natural selection is just a byproduct of imperialism and imperial thinking. I, um... I think there's more to nature and human beings and, and, and life on earth than just natural selection. Um, I know it like from reading Vine Deloria Jr., who's a indigenous author, you know, he often talks about how, you know, indigenous, uh, cultures, um, you know, seek to befriend nature, not try to control it. And I feel like natural selection is an attempt for the dominator mindset to try and control creation. Um, again, I'm not in, I don't follow natural selection. I don't think, I think we're more than that. We're not just like this survival of the fittest. Like, I, I think there's a lot more to human beings and life on earth than just competition. Uh, so then he continues to talk about emergence and the web. Uh, and Stephen indicates that there are some who are starting to detect mic some people who are starting to detect macro behaviors with the web's development. Um, these be developments uh, supposedly go undetected by individual users. Well, some of us are starting to become aware of it. Um, and then he thinks that websites and audiences are following a power law where the top 10 websites are 10 times bigger than the top 100 websites. And the top 100 websites are bigger than the top 1,000 websites. And I kind of disagree with this because I know that the Google algorithm, like the algorithms for the major search engines, like purposely filter out a lot of smaller websites and only, you know, they, they will um, promote the more popular websites on purpose and then they'll kind of like, you'll have to go like maybe 12 pages in to find the smaller independent websites that are usually a little more in interesting than the, uh, the top, the big ones that they support. So there's a lot of gaming and a lot of like, um, manipulation by algorithms to get a website to, as a top search. And even then, like back when, cause I used to, I was in university for business administration a long time ago 
And even then, like, like AdSense was a big thing. And um, search engine optimization. I don't know if it's as big as... They were kind of buzzwords. I don't know if they're as big as they are now. But, like, there were there would be people that would have businesses where they try and help people, like small business owners and stuff like that, try and optimize their website so that they come... So that they can be the first like the top website and so they would you know keywords and they would try and manipulate and do all these things to boost a person's website so that they get more traffic and I don't know that's not really an example of like the, the perfect competition because I feel like there's some economic metaphor in there but perfect competition doesn't really it exists maybe it exists on paper but most large corporations and businesses want to move more towards monopoly and want to move towards being like the sole owner or the sole controller of a resource because then they get more money and more power and influence so I don't know perfect competition like I said I think it sounds good on paper but I and it might exist between like a mom and pop, like hair salons or something. But when you talk about an actual like large corporation or these large, large online pl platforms, like, I mean, how many other Facebooks are there? There's not, there's one. Um, you know, how many are there small businesses that have like um, these social networking type? There's none. So there's not so it's a it's a monopoly it's like a power, and I mean maybe that is the power law, but there is a lot of manip manipulation that goes into selecting those top one hundred sites. Like they're not, it's not like organic competition where, you know, someone uh, pulled up the bootstraps and you know through power and or through vigorous effort and all these things they caught to the top 100 well no a lot of manipulation and pre-selection is involved in getting to the top 100 and that's kind of like with a lot of stuff so I don't know there's a lot of things that sound good on paper but in reality they just don't work um and and there's a lot of even on YouTube and stuff like that there's a lot of manipulation with the Algorithm, so you only see certain websites like you have to look for the other ones um, You have to look for the good stuff. It's not gonna show up in like the most popular feed because that popular feed is highly manipulated and controlled by The algorithm and the people who are writing the algorithm. So I, I just I disagree with but that's what he said there um, And then Stephen thinks that we will have emergence because it it comes out of like he thinks that emergence comes out of natural selection and I, I don't know about that um there's a natural emergence that happens between people and living beings and the creator like you know like the god or universe or whatever you want to call this the source um and that's not natural selection that's just a, having a connection with yourself and the creator and a and a culture or a community may have their own unique um, connection with their or they may have their own way unique ways of, of expressing their connection with the creator um, 
But that's not natural selection. That's how a community has come together and how they have lived on the land and how they interact with the spirits on the land. That, that has nothing to do with natural selection. But their artificial emergence is a, is coming out of natural selection. And they want us to believe the natural selection story. And it's a story. It's just a story that they keep telling people. Um, and we don't have to live in that natural selection like uh, competition and, and only those at the top get to reproduce and and move move on and get all the, the toys and the accolades and everyone else um, doesn't get anything. We don't have to live in that story. And I think because I'm starting to get Okay, so it's not too much left. So I'm only going to have another couple more slides left, just talking a bit more about emergence and the web. Uh, so Stephen thinks that by modifying the web that they could have or they could achieve Telhard, Desjardins, uh, groupthink, or that global consciousness. And again, that's where I think the Web3 technologies come into play. Um, and then Stephen wonders how the change could come about uh, one way is the communication between agents um, like ants interacting with each other could create that artificial emergent system on the web but I guess it would be a two-way communication between like HTML hyperlinks or something um, like the current HTML hyperlinks are one directional so you hit a link from one page and it sends you to another. Um, so it's kind of a one directional system right now so that there's not really a lot of feedback built in. At least it wasn't when he was writing this book. I think that's, that is that is starting to change. Like there is feedback, like the rating system and ranking systems and stuff like that that we see on like Amazon and other uh, like Yelp and stuff like that where um, that those ratings are starting to come into play like that two-way feedback system is starting to come in um, and then he does talk about Alexa and uh, before Alexa got bought up by Amazon it was created by Brewster uh, Kali I hope I got his name right um, so he introduced Stephen introduces the work of uh, Brewster Kelly, who founded the Internet Archive and uh, the Alexa Internet, and that's the Alexa that Amazon owns now. But before that, it was created by Brewster Kelly, who wanted to create an Internet Archive. Um, and supposedly, he built Alexa, the Alexa Internet server, in a basement. Um, and Stephen thinks that it was a snapshot of early collective intelligence displayed on the web um so kelly created the worldwide information server and alexa was launched in 1996 and alexa was a, a used collaborative filtering like technology to build connections between sites uh, based on the user traffic um so you know an example is like related sites option found on most browsers today so if you click on a website and you like it the browser will recommend other websites to you um, and then in 1999 that's when Amazon 
acquired Alexa and now there's people that have Alexa in their homes and Alexa is listening to you even if the marketing material says it's not that's a lie um and then Kali wanted to take snapshots of the internet and index them permanently on a storage devices for future historians um he also opened it up to use among casual web surfers so he wanted so I guess he wanted Alexa to be able to take snapshots of the internet for the future um so that's that theme of time and emergence being a pattern in time and then he also opened that up among casual web surfers because that's how the system learns is by watching watching us and collecting our data. So Kali found that by tracking surfing patterns of its um, of Alexa's users, the software can make connections between websites. And he also created what's next on the toolbar uh, to link related websites um, to the one an individual is browsing. So you keep kind of clicking through and it kind of reminds me of the recommendations on like YouTube, for example, like you kick, you know, you watch one video and then there's a bunch of related videos that pops up. And so you keep watching it and then the algorithm and the website will then continue to learn your behavior and what you like and don't like, and then tailor that to, and then they'll, it'll tailor the information to what it thinks you like and so on. Um, and then these connections are formed by watching traffic patterns and finding neighbors and the system learns, learns by watching user behavior. So it finds the patterns in the user's behavior and then that's how it learns. Um, and as the software gets smarter and more organized, it can track more individuals surfing, uh, surfing histories. And when, as tens of thousands of people are added to the system, Alexa really starts to learn. It's probably why Amazon bought it. Uh, and then Alexa's intelligence is the collective wisdom of individuals using the system. And, and then, um, you know, as they learn us, then I guess they create more recommendations and more learning. Although I do find those recommendations, even when I was, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but when I was on there, again, they're like, you know, the recommendations feed, right? Um, but it ends up becoming an echo chamber after a while. And I thought about echo, like that word echo chamber, and how it's kind of like there's echo loca location, like that the Navy uses and stuff. And so I kind of wonder if it's like the echo location for our behavior and our psychology like they get us into these echo chambers and then they know where we're at like we know they know that oh Susie uh she's a democrat and she likes this content so just give Susie this stuff it's okay we know she likes this stuff and so we'll just feed her and then we'll polarize her and then we'll steer Susie towards the other Susies and the other the Kens and Barbies and stuff like that in the system and then we'll get them clustered together and then we'll steer them towards this outcome that the system wants um, for emergence. So it kind of made me think about like the the whole recommendations and the echo chamber and echolocation and polarization. I feel like there's like a a pattern there. Um, so I would say just really limit your 
I mean, I've started limiting my, I mean, yes, it's good to limit and get away from these technologies, but then, you know, I was listening to Allison talking over the, the weekend and she did bring up the good point that even if we, if we get off the stuff, there's other people that are using these devices and so they can still collect data on us indirectly through other people's devices. Um, you know, and through the people that are, you know, our families and friends that interact with this stuff. So that's the tough part is like, or maybe it's not so much tough. It's just being aware of it so that when we're trying to like create something that is more meaningful than this artificial emergence garbage, that we're aware of this and we're aware that, you know, they can still indirectly measure us. So there's no running away, in other words. <laughs> it's just figuring out how to use our creative and collective intelligence to to navigate all this stuff. And so I'm going to finish off by just, um, I think I'm just going to finish it there. Because that's pretty much the crux of the uh, of the chapter is this pattern is, is that the data from the smart sensors and the technology that we're using is really important so that the system can find patterns and it can find that macro behavior. And I think that's where like topology and cartography comes into play as well. Like the mapping out these clusters and mapping out um, these patterns so they can, they think that they have these macro behaviors, which then leads to that collective emergent intelligence, if that makes sense. So I'm going to leave it there for now because so that that concludes the chapter on pattern um, mat patterns and pattern matching. And next week, I think it's I think it is about feedback It's either the control artists or feedback. It's one of those two. I can't remember the off the top of my head which chapter comes up next, but I'm going to be continuing the book. So I only have a few more chapters left, three more chapters, and then I, I'll move on to something else, I promise. <laughs> so if you stayed this long and you've enjoyed the content so far, please think about subscribing. I know I haven't really talked about that in the show, but just if you're interested in, in it and you like the content and, um, you know, consider uh, subscribing and following along and, um, you know, I hope everyone has a blessed and heartfelt week and I'll be back next week with the next uh, chapter. And thank you all for stopping by the cafe. Enjoy your week and weekend and have a heartfelt time and talk to you later. Bye-bye.